Welcome to the Main Break, the Standards Weekly Footy Podcast. Hello and welcome back to the Standards Weekly Footy Podcast, the Main Break. I'm Nick Ansel. I'm here with Sean Hardiman, Justin McCullabeasy, and we're delighted to welcome Ben Vanderkamp. How are you guys? That's good to hear. There's some positive news for footy this week. Hopefully we'll uh, be back on the park. Yeah, fingers crossed. That was probably the first sign from the government this week that potentially we could get some games in this year. They're obviously trying really hard to put some guidelines in place, which would mean um, some grassroots sports of some level in 2020. So, you know, we're not over the line yet, but I think that's the first positive sign we've had that potentially there will be some form of sport this year, which is good news. Yeah, there seems to be a lot of sort of positivity around other sports as well. At the moment, a lot of people sort of ticking off boxes coming back. So it'll be interesting to see when, when sport does come back and it'll make us a lot more happy, I think. I don't think there's any doubt that people are looking for something on their weekends because uh, there's only so many times, so much time in the weekend you can spend at Bunnings. I was stuck in the uh, Bunnings car park for half an hour trying to get out the other day. It was just ridiculous. But anyway, that's life. DIY is the, uh, the new thing. So Ben, obviously, we know you've had a pretty um, long background with junior footy in the region in the Hampton area and uh, as well with the NAB League with the Rebels program. Um, I guess we've talked a lot on this podcast lately about grassroots footy and how COVID-19 is impacting that, but... It stems through to the NAB League program and those kids who potentially want to get drafted um, this year or down the track um, with no footy being played there so far and potentially not for the whole year. I guess, how do you sort of look at it from someone who's been involved at the statewide level um, and how do you think the kids are sort of dealing with this sort of interruption? I think, you know... I suppose the one positive about the situation currently facing these kids is that it's the same for everyone across, not just Victoria, but for across the whole of the nation. So it's not as if there's one pocket of, say, Victoria or, uh, you know, one community that's been uh, disadvantaged because there's no no football in that area. So I think um, if there's any positive in this situation, it's the fact that it's consistent for every 17, 18, 19, 25-year-old uh, across the whole of the nation. So rather than, say, AFL Vic having to uh, rethink how they're going to do it, it's actually requiring AFL Victoria, AFL full stop to think about what's the best situation that we can manage a situ- you know, the, the current climate that we're, we're facing ourselves in. So I think the hardest thing for the boys is, you know, there's, there's not, not going to be a draft. So we know that that's still going to happen. I suppose the thing at the moment that a lot of people are facing, and you know, you touched on it before with the uncertainty, is there's so many different concepts that are being bounced around at the moment about what the AFL might look like, or what the BFL might look like, or what state leagues might look like, or what NAB league might look like going forward, and no one's actually got any answers. But there's a lot of people hypothesising. I suppose you know, you guys are in a similar bracket. That that's what that's what your job is to uh, to try and expand on these concepts and see what they might actually look like or how they might actually come to fruition. And I suppose for the boys, and if I, I think about the boys in the southwest, you know, the 16, 17, some 18-year-olds, um, and they're not really sure what's, what's ahead. So the, the difficulty for them is that, you know, they've effectively done a pre-season already and then their season stops 
and then they're training at home, training at home, without any real certainty as to when they might play, if they play, um, uh, what type of a season they're going to get, what type of opportunity they're going to get to showcase their skills, and then um, what scenario they might actually be going into in terms of if it's an AFL football club or if it's a VFL football club, or even if it's uh, to stay within the confines of the Hamden League, for instance, or if they go off to university or anything next year uh, to to see what, what that presents. So there's, I suppose the, the biggest challenge at the moment for those boys is, is not the football side of things, it's the uncertainty around it. And I think that's probably the hardest part for it. You know, it's hard enough for us as adults um, to not you know have the certainty around you know when a season might start or what things are going to look like. Um, but for these kids, I think it's even harder, um, you know, given the uncertainty that, that exists and there's amount, the, the amount of noise that's going on around the game. Do you think the NAB League in its current format should remain the same or is there anything you would like to see change from a NAB League perspective, having been involved with that program before? The thing I love about the NAB League is it, is it gives kids in regional areas the opportunity to play footy at a really high standard. Um, and one of the things that um, we're really, really big on is that uh, and it, we took, we're talking 40 kids at the start of the summer and our focus for them was not necessarily about making the actual the list. You ask the kids, that'll be their focus, but our focus is trying to put them into a high-performance program and if they're not, you know, not successful at making it through to the actual list of um, the GWB Rebels, that they still go back to their clubs as a as a better footballer and um, can add something to their their club level um, involvement. So that's something that we've been really really big on, and something we're pretty confident that we've been able to achieve on a high standard. And my my concern would be if the if the structure changed or if numbers were stripped back, or you know, there's been some talk about having uh, GWV Rebels etc. or NAB League clubs aligned to an AFL club, whether the level of involvement is as high for kids full stop, so whether that be metropolitan or regional or rural, um, and I find that a bit of a concern. I think at the moment the positivity of the program is that the good kids get their opportunity, but um, it also opens up opportunities for a lot more lot more boys and girls, for that, for that matter, in regional areas to try and access something that's at a... Uh, a higher level than what they might be exposed to at, say, club football or, you know, even for a, even though it's a bit of a dying um, concept in elite football. Just uh, just curious, obviously one of the things that's been floated quite a bit lately and one of the discussion points has been the draft age and, you know, whether or not it should be raised, whether it should stay the same, where it sits. Um, do you, What are your thoughts on that? Do you think it's okay as it is or do you think it, it should be should be lifted? conversation that you three, I think it was you three guys had around this uh, a couple of weeks ago. I, I, first and foremost, there's probably not a one-size-fits-all concept. We know that kids develop in different different, uh, different stages, but, you know, you can't have that. Um, so the minimum age, I think, at the moment of 18 is actually a good fit. And the reason why I believe that is because these kids um, who are in school currently, um, and if I use, you say, Jay Rantel as an example, Jay was at school learning regularly and then transferred straight from that um, structured routine environment into the, into the routine and structure of an AFL club. And I think, you know, AFL club um, would, they might not necessarily describe it, but I think there's a lot of elements that are school-like mm. um, 
you know, there's a lot of learning, there's a lot of meetings, there's a lot of uh, processes, routines that these that these boys have, particularly as 18 year olds when they go into that environment, they move away from home probably, uh, maybe interstate, and they're thrown into that club environment. And it, in many ways, I believe it resembles the school environment. Um, so for them, those boys, there's not that much of a transition um, because that's the that's the mindset that they're used to. They go to school, they get up, they go to school, they do their work, they've got homework, they've got pro- you know things that they've got to do. My my query would be. Um, and I'll use, again, a, another local example with the likes of, um, you know, Josh Dewar and Mitchie Burgess and um, who have, you know, we're in the process of um, being involved as overage players. Um, part of their their transition was the relocation to, to Geelong um, where, you know, they moved without necessarily having a job to go to, without necessarily knowing what their structure was. So they, you know, and if... They have a good season at VFL level. There's an opportunity that they might um, they might fall into or you know become part of an AFL club. But they've sort of moved themselves away from that concept of you know the structure and routine that AFL clubs come into. And I I feel for those guys because they're part time footballers um, working during the day and then um, uh, having the opportunity to sort of train later on that night. It's physically really really taxing um, and mentally as well too. So. My preference, I think, is keep it at 18. Um, and and purely, probably, uh, you know, I come from an education background, so I can see the benefits of kids going straight from one environment into another. Now, whether the AFL agree with that or not, they probably don't um, take too many things into my, uh, you know, into my calculations, but um, I think that's my perspective, and I, I'm sort of pretty... Um, pretty confident um, that I think that's right but again other people might think differently I guess it's it's been one of those things there's been so many it seems everyone has a, a different opinion on, on, on that sort of issue I know Sam Walsh was one he came out the other day and said he thinks it's fine as is and it gave him great structure and and, and all the best. And then, obviously, we, we spoke to Mark Dwyer and, uh, and, and Noel Mugvin the other week who were of the opposing views. So I think is, it's I think there's a lot of really good arguments, um, you know, on both sides of the fence for that sort of thing. I think it's a it's actually a pretty well-rounded issue. Yeah, and that's the thing. Um, if you ask 10 people, I'll have 10 different opinions. Uh, and that's the challenge that the AFL face, I suppose. And it's a little bit like the current situation with... Um, you know, with COVID, Dan Andrews often refers to, often to his chief medical officer, and I suppose the AFL are referring to, you know, club um, development officers or, or well-being professionals just to sort of see are these kids capable of making the transition at 18 or do they need to be 19 or 20? Um, and there's probably arguments, you know, that would support either way. But um, I think every, every boy that, or every girl that gets drafted is extremely different and I suppose when clubs make their choices about uh, who they're drafting their capability, you know, the capability of the individual person is to to thrive, not just survive but to thrive at, at AFL level is probably a fair part of their choice in making those choices and there are some clubs who are probably better equipped at that um, and are better prepared to maybe take a risk on an 18 year old who's a little bit um, more susceptible uh, than others, and there are other clubs who will say, no, we can't, maybe we'll have a look at that person as, a, as an 18, 19, 20-year-old, or, you know, in the case of Marlon Pickett, as a 27-year-old. I guess if you leave it at 18, it gives those kids that are 
uh, physically and mentally ready the chance to get in, get started, you know, like your Andy McGrath's or your Sam Walsh, who come in straight away and make an impact. And then it also leaves it open for those guys who are 19, 20, 21, who took a bit longer to get picked up. Because um, I guess if you're, you're stopping at 18, potentially all these people are missing out on a year of their career when they're ready to go. So, like, football careers are short, so I think they want to play as much as they can as soon as they can. And if they're ready, then why not? And if they're not ready, then I guess you get drafted a bit later. So it sort of caters for all in that situation, I guess. Well, and the flip side of that is um, we're talking about kids who aren't ready. And if you think about, uh, you know, Sam Walsh, for instance, now, he's clearly he was clearly ready as an 18-year-old. So what happens to him if he's forced to sit at state league level or, um, you know, GFL level, for one of a better phrase? Does his football go backwards? Does he hold? Does his development not as occur, uh, occur as rapid a rate as what it did do? So I think, you know, Justine's point is very valid on that front. Do you feel more mature age people will get recruited because of COVID-19? Obviously, Marlon Pickett's an example of that. Do you feel, um, it'll, obviously, that sort of time away gives them a, a chance to, to get up and, and have a go as well? Yeah, that's an interesting concept. Um, Damien Hardwick's um, talk on the Offsiders on the weekend, I think, on the ABC was really interesting when he spoke about, you know, the reduction of, um, of club lists. Um, probably takes the focus away from being uh, performance and development to just actually being performance. Um, so I think on that front, then, if that's the case, uh, or let's say it's 35, 37 players on a list, I think from a club point of view, they've nearly got to say they have to be ready to play AFL football or have the capacity to play AFL football that year. Um, so the opportunity to then say, OK, righto, um, you know, if I think about Richmond as an example, and I must declare I am a Richmond supporter, um, you know, that with Patrick Nace, they basically played him in the VFL for the first year and said, that's where we're going to leave him. Um, do clubs have that capacity anymore? So then maybe by, by pure virtue of the fact that they need people who are going to play, they don't necessarily take, you know, an 18-year-old and pick 70, 80 or 90. Maybe they're taking a, you know, a footballer that's been in the system or it's been a really, really good state league footballer. So... I suppose time will only tell on that front, um, Sean, because we don't know, and we're not sure if you know if list reduction is going to take place, whether it's going to be over a period of time. But you know, even if they took ten players off a list, it's a hundred, you know, 180 footballers across the uh, across the nation. Um, and you know, the question is, do they get another opportunity when you're not talking about development, you're just talking about performance? So um, I think that will be an interesting interesting one to watch. Yeah, and obviously back on, on, on sort of the junior development path, um, we've had a pretty strong um, sort of presence in the, in the Rebels and over the last few years. Um, how do you sort of feel that we can continue to have that sort of presence and how do they sort of maintain the level of um, football that they've been able to have at, at the Rebels? I think one of the things we've been um, blessed with uh, in the southwest is really, really good junior coaches. Um, so the development that um, the kids have had by the time they get to, and you know, if you think about GWV Rebels, it's probably starting earlier than than us with um, the Bulldogs NGA. So they're kids that are coming in as as fourteen year olds playing in an under fifteen competition, and, and this or last year for the first time with that um, that NGA academy, we had uh, a selection of uh, for under fourteen boys who came in and just trained with the group. Um, and they were uh, boys who'd been given the opportunity based on feedback from their, um, their junior coaches. So I think 
Uh, the junior coaches that exist within the South West are absolutely uh, first class. And not just in Clubland, but I think um, the schools have worked on their programs uh, outstandingly well to put really, really good football coaches um, into coaching positions. So, you know, most schools now will have um, uh, sporting academies with obviously football as a part of that. And I think that's had a lot to um, a lot to do with that. So one of the things that I suppose one of the easiest parts about, uh, you know, coaching a, a GWA Rebels squad is they're all really, really good footballers um, and they've all got outstanding traits uh, and qualities and possess, you know, enormous skills. So one of the challenges that we have is uh, just to try and finesse that, but um, enhance those strengths that the kids have. And that's probably been a, a shift in mindset a little bit um, is those kids were coming thinking they were going to work on their weaknesses, but we actually want them to work on their, their strengths because that's probably been a, a change in mindset from a, you know, like a squad selection or a, a team selection or even a, a draft selection point of view is that, you know, show us your one wood and, and we'll work on that and um, really enhance that capability that you have, whether it's endurance or agility or kicking or anything along those lines. But I think, as I said, going back to and our, our coaching group that we've got involved with Rebels, whether it's under-16 level or under-18 level or outstanding, but I think the junior coaches across the board um, in the Hampton region have been absolutely outstanding, and that's why a lot of the clubs can take credit for the kids that are coming into the program because... They, they have outstanding um, skills and attributes already, and I think that's something that the club should be really, really pleased with. Here's one a bit left field, Ben. Um, I've seen on social media lately people talking about like the difference between the gap between, say, a top country footballer or suburban footballer and the a, a person on AFL list who's not getting a game, and whether the gap is big or small. If you had to pick one or two Hampton League players that you could pluck from right now, who you think could just have a crack at AFL, who would you pick? Um, well, I think the first one that would come to mind straight away, and you know, you could probably, there's a, a, a number of them you could think of, but I think someone like um, a Sam Dobson um, would someone who would easily slot back into that um, that field, um, you know, and that, that comes, to, and I read something yesterday, an article between um, oh, it was David King and um, Dermot Brown and was the one that I was reading, and they're both coming for different opinions, but you know, someone Sam has um, great footy intellect and also has great footy ability, and I think um, he would easily slot back into into that. Um, so I, don't, I think he would be one. Um, if I think, you know, across the board, <laughs> you know, and he's probably a bit longer than the tooth now, but Dan Nicholson's still someone um, who's an outstanding footballer and just gets better and better every year. In, in, in the handling and really still dangerous. And whilst his body might not necessarily front up to the um, the rigours of AFL football, I'm quite sure um, he would have the smarts to be able to survive at that level. So I, I'd have no no qualms. You could probably list six or seven, maybe even more footballers who would be able to set him straight back into um, that standard of football. And, you know, going back to that concept before, that would easily be able to walk in um, and be a big player in, a, in an in a AFL team. Ben, thanks so much for your time. I really appreciate your insight and your thoughts on uh, all things juniors and and pathways. All the best, and yeah, thanks for joining us. No worries, guys. Hopefully, um, you guys get the opportunity to start reporting on some games soon. And uh, there's only so many best ofs or uh, or whatnot that you can uh, pick over the course of time. I think you've done an amazing job thus far to keep 
the football and netball spirit going, but um, yeah, hopefully we've got something to um, to go and cheer on on a Saturday soon. It'll be um, very nice. My little daughter's playing under 13s at South Netball this year, so she's pumped and can't wait to get on the court, so I'm looking forward to going and watching her. So fingers crossed it won't be too long.